Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. guys, thanks so much for joining in on today's episode. If you want to learn more about our ministry partners, please visit nimrodoutdoors.com and click on the ministry partner tab. From there, you can gain all the access and information you need for our ministry partners. You can also learn more about becoming a ministry partner if you'd like to join in on all the fun. Thanks so much. Today's episode is sponsored by Pure Clean Softwash. Pure Clean Softwash is a family-owned exterior cleaning company offering pressure washing, house washing, roof, driveway, and gutter cleaning. Find them at Facebook at Pure Clean Softwash or online at purecleanga.com. That's purecleanga.com. Well, what's going on, guys? This is M.A. Dozier with the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and uh, what we're going to talk about today is something that Man, I've been wrestling with in my life for several years, uh, probably over a decade, actually. Um, And uh, everything was good and fine until the Holy Spirit convicted me. Um, And ever since that conviction came, man, it has been a daily wrestling uh, with God's Word over what we're going to talk about today. Um, But I hope everybody had a great Easter. Uh, Man, I know down here in Georgia where we're at, uh, it was beautiful weather. Um, It was a perfect Easter uh, time, and our church did several services. And just to see everybody being able to hear the truth of the gospel was amazing. Um, so from my family, yours, I hope you had a great Easter um, and a great Resurrection Sunday and a great celebration. And then let's continue to go out throughout the year um, and tell others about Jesus. Let's not just reserve that to one Sunday a year. Um, but today, what we're going to talk about is idols um, and idols in our own lives. And, you know, Exodus 20, uh, chapter 20, uh, God lays out the Ten Commandments to Moses And the first one on there is Exodus 20, uh, verse 1. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, And I know we, especially down here in the South, we talk about the Ten Commandments. We have them posted everywhere. If you drive up to a church, they're normally like uh, stuck up in the yard somewhere uh, where you could see them. But I think they have become so just... Oh, not commonplace, but we see them and we acknowledge them, but we don't really dive into the meaning behind them. Uh, And so the first one is, have no other gods before me. And I think we read over that. I know I read over that. I'm like, well, there's only one God and I know that and you know that. And so uh, we don't really have to dive into that too hard. But the definition of an idol uh, in the Webster Dictionary is something used as an object of worship. And so, you know, I think we all think it's silly, like, oh, well, he's worshiping this or worshiping that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we acknowledge God as God. Um, but really, in my own life, uh, the Lord really convicted me of idols in my life uh, because these individual things that were in my life were keeping me from actually following Jesus and doing what he's asked me to do. I may have acknowledged that God was one and only God. I might have acknowledged that Jesus was the Savior of the world and the Savior of, of, of my soul, and, and He died on the cross for my sins, but yet there were things in my life that were hindering me or keeping me from fully surrendering and following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me that those are idols. Anything that I place 
in, in front of God or in front of Jesus in my life is an idol. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to, we're going to dive in a little deeper into scripture. Um, and we're really going to be, uh, the first scripture we're going to talk about is in Daniel chapter three. Um, this Daniel chapter three actually is one of my favorite, um, accounts in the Bible. It talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and a little back history here, just so you know, um, they are in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is over top of, of Babylon. Um, and a little, just a kind of little understanding of what Babylon is. So King Nebuchadnezzar has gone out and he's taking over all these kingdoms and all these other nations, and he's bringing them into Babylon, and he's allowing them to live there, basically kind of, and allowing them to really just worship the way they want to worship, and they're, they're allowed to speak their own language. It's not like they're slaves, but what he has done is when he takes over these nations, he brings their people into Babylon, and then he goes through and he picks out the best of the best from those individual nations, and he brings them into the inner workings of Babylon. And so that's what's happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is he has seen that they are uh, the best of the best. They are highly esteemed. And so he, he has brought them in. Um, but we pick up in chapter three of Daniel, um, and this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar's gold image. Um, and so I'll read uh, chapters three, verses one through seven, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit. But it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the straps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors, the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's the deal. <clears throat> what, what we see here is a cut and dry, obviously, <clears throat> an idol situation where King Nebuchadnezzar has made a, a, a golden statue of his own image, and he's telling people, hey, you're going to worship it. When, when you hear the music start playing, you're going to start worshiping um, this idol of mine. Um, and as we know, if you know anything about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse, um, and it, it upsets King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and it, what's interesting is, in what I just read, um, it says that you will immediately be cast in the firing furnace if you don't bend down. Uh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were of such value to King Nebuchadnezzar that he brought them up and actually gave them another opportunity uh, to bow before uh, the image, and they refused. 
And so what we all know what happens, they, they ultimately get thrown into the fire. Um, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, did we not throw three men into the fire? There are four. And that fourth was Jesus. And then he calls in and asks Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out. And they come out and it says that they were not burned. And it was like their clothes did not even smell of smoke. Um, and that's a man. That's one of my awesome thing. Awesome things I love about this story. Uh, but really, what I love most about this story is just the boldness of Shagmat, Meshach, and Abednego, and basically telling King Nebuchadnezzar that um, they will not bow. And today, their God will deliver them out of the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then they say, "But even if he doesn't, we will still be in his glory at the end of all this." So they had ultimate faith that. Even if Nebuchadnezzar could kill them physically here on earth, man, they would be in glory immediately with Jesus um, in just a short time. And, and I think we all need to live out our lives in that manner. Um, but I'm kind of rabbit-holing here, um, but getting back to idols. So Nebuchadnezzar set this thing up, and he said, hey, when the music plays, I want you to bow down to this, and I want you to worship it. And so, you know... I think we look at this and we're like, well, duh, like that's, that's a clear idol. Like there's an image in front of us and, and I'm not going to bow to that because that would be an idol. I think as, as modern day Christians today, we would see that and we'd say, Hey, like, well, that's not right. You know, God says in Exodus 20, first commandment, you shall know other God's before me. So I'm not going to bow down and worship to that. But the devil is crafty. And so in our modern age today, he may not have a physical golden statue that we bend down to, but what in our lives is actually hindering us from following Jesus and fully surrendering and surrendering to him? Those are idols. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me, there's a, a quote by Jack Hayford, and it says, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. Let me read that again. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped and that's by jack hayford so here's a here's a big question for us that we need to wrestle with if we are worshiping god if we are worshiping jesus do people see jesus in our own lives if we are worshiping jesus are we being molded into the image of jesus or when people look at our lives, do they just merely see the world? You know, here, here here's here's something in my own life that I, I I've had to wrestle with is is the fact of uh, societal and cultural um, understandings of what how life is supposed to go, especially quote unquote the American dream. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, my generation, I'm 34. My generation was told in school, like, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. And um, a big generation of people went to college. And now a big generation is have college degrees and are not using them at all. Um, and so we bought into the lie of the culture. We bought into the lie of, you know, this is what the, the expectations are of the world. Um, and at the end of the day, guess what? The world changed and it pulled the rug out from under us. And so are we following the truth and the word of Jesus in our lives, no matter where he calls us to, no matter if it goes completely against society and culture, or are we buying into these lies, these societal lies, these cultural lies, these status quos that uh, our, our, not only our culture has, but our families have of us? 
Um, are we buying into those and are we allowing those to dictate what we do and, and how we follow Christ? Or are we saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do exactly what Jesus has called me to. And I, let's dive into some more scripture to talk about that specifically, uh, talking about idols in our lives and, and what is holding us back from fully surrendering our lives to follow Jesus and just say, Lord, where do you want me and what do you want me to do? And if he tells you to do something, we go do it. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite scriptures to kind of talk about this, and it's a scripture I go to a lot, is the story of the rich young ruler's account with Jesus. Um, and that is in Mark 10, verse 17 uh, through 22. Uh, and it says this, uh, And as they were setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not ball fierce witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept in my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what I find interesting here in the account of the rich young ruler is he comes to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's genuinely interested about, hey, what must I do to live eternally with you? And Jesus gives him kind of the generic Jewish answer like, um, you know, you know, the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. What's he doing? He's, he's going through the Ten Commandments here. Jesus is like, hey, these are the Ten Commandments. Like, you know, do those. And the guy's like, well, I've done those since my youth. Well, first of all, we all know that we are sinful creatures. And so there's no way we can perfectly keep the Ten Commandments. He may have thought he did, but there's no way we actually can do that. And so, you know, I think Jesus was kind of setting him up here. Um, and, and once he, you know, the guy was like, I've kept all these for my youth instead of Jesus diving back into that and being like, Hey, like, you know, actually you haven't, you're a liar. Um, you know, Jesus really was staying focused to the truth of what he was trying to get from him. And he told this guy, he said, Hey, he said, that's great. You have one more thing to do. Sell everything that you have and come follow me. And what does it say? The rich young ruler was sorrowful, uh, and disheartened because he had many great possessions. So here's the thing. What held the rich young ruler up from following Jesus? It was his riches. See, he was, he was disheartened and he was sorrowful because his, his heart, his identity, and who he was was found in his riches, not in following after Jesus. So in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, uh, what's interesting is in my Bible, uh, the title of this little section here is The Cost of Following Jesus. Um, and Jesus is interacting with some people here. And in verse 57, it says, as they, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying here? He's, the guy's like, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, that's great. Well, I don't live in a house. I don't have a dwelling place. I don't have a home. And so are you willing to give up your home in order to follow me? And I think he's confronting this guy with, hey, you may say that with your words, but are, is your life going to reflect those actions? 
Well, he continues on in verse 59. He says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. For as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what is, what is Jesus confronting him with here? This guy's like making, basically saying kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm going to kind of negotiate with Jesus here. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I, I need to go do this first. I need to go take care of this first. I need to go do this first. And Jesus is like, no, forget that. Come follow me now, right now. When I say come follow me, follow me. So ultimately, these two guys, you know, he, he's confronting them with idols in their lives. This, this guy had an idol of, man, maybe I had something better to do. I, I need to go bury my father. Well, that's a cultural and societal thing. Um, the first guy was like, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, that's fine. That's great. But hey, we're not going to have a house. We're not going to have a place. We're just going to be wanderers. Are you good with that? Um, and then we continue on in verse 60. Or verse 61, it says, yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so what is this third, third guy saying? He's saying, hey, I'm going to come follow you. But, but real quick, I'm, I'm going to go say goodbye to my family. And what does Jesus say to him? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of Christ. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that I am supposed to be primary in your life. You are supposed to follow me with everything you have. And if anything, even remotely makes you look back and, and question and desire to go back, man, you're not fit for the work of the kingdom. Um, and because what are those things in our lives? Those are idols. Jesus is pulling these idols out of their lives that, and really in, in Jewish time, the, these were kind of societal expectations. Like you, you bury, you bury your father, you go say bye to your family. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow you, but you don't have a home. I, we, we don't have a home. I, I got to have a house. Um, and I see so many of these in the American culture today of little things that we don't classify as idols, but in reality, they are keeping us from following after Jesus. And whatever is keeping you from surrendering and following Jesus is an idol. So my question to you today is, what are you worshiping? Is it family? Is it comfort of life? Is it money? Is it where you live? You're just comfortable in the community in which you live? Is it a societal or cultural status quo? Um, you know, there, there's idols in amongst our lives every day that we have to acknowledge because they're the ones that are holding us back from fully following Christ and Jesus. And so, so, you know, I, I wanted to do the, this, this talk on idols. Um, but I thought it'd only be fair that I share some of the idols in my own life and get transparent with you guys. Um, and so a huge idol that I wrestle with daily is, um, it's found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. And it says this. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And so here's the thing. I have a deep desire in my soul to have a good name. I want to be in great standing with everybody I come around. And, you know, a lot of people, even me, I'm like, well, it's in the Bible. So you're doing godly things because... You're making sure you have a great name 
uh, and, and you're doing it above riches and, and man, that's in the Bible. So, so that's not an idol. You know, you're, you're just doing what God has told you to, to do. Well, here's the truth of the matter. And this is where I was saying like the Holy Spirit has revealed things to me. And because of that, now I'm wrestling with them because as a young Christian, I was like, man, a good name, a good name, a good name. I'm going to do everything I can to have a good name. I'm going to, you know, in school, man, I was like straight laced. I never, never got in trouble. Um, I didn't make the best of grades, but that's because I'm dumb, not because I was a bad kid. Um, but if you talk to anybody, like I, I was, I was the good Christian model kid. Like I never got in trouble, never got ISS, never got, you know, suspended from school, never got into any type of trouble at all. Um, my parents knew exactly where I was. I never did parties, never went drinking, never, never did drugs. Um, and part of that was because I was always just deer hunting. But what, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me was that I was dictating my actions and my life off of a good name rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, Jesus, what do you want from me? And really what it came down to is when I felt like God was asking me to do something. And the first thought that came into my mind is, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of me if I do this? Well, here's the deal. What if I was one of these guys that Jesus was interacting with? And he was like, go do this. And my response was, okay, God, but what are people going to think of me? See, my heart is more concerned about my name and what people think of me rather than following Jesus. And so therefore, a good name in my life has become an idol above Jesus. Because I'm like, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I can have a good name. But the truth of the matter is, if you read through Scripture, God, God and Jesus ask people to do things that really doesn't matter what their name is. It actually kind of ruins their name. I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus had a good name all the way up until, you know, Good Friday. And then all of a sudden, his name was spat on and destroyed and crushed. And he didn't fight to continue to have a good name. He did what God asked him to do and go to the cross for our sins. So that's what I wrestle with as an idol. Another idol I've wrestled with over the years, and this is part of my testimony. I've shared it here on the podcast. Um, and this is a deep one, guys. This, this is something that um, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. But growing up as a young Christian, you know, I, I quote unquote gave my life to the Lord. But man, let me tell you what, I didn't surrender to him until I was in my 20s um, because I was a the good quintessential Christian boy. And growing up in a Southern Baptist church, <clears throat> we have a bad habit of asking the question of all revolving around heaven. We say, hey, you know, if you were to die today, are you going to heaven? Or don't you want to go to heaven? Or, um, you know, heaven is great. Hell is hot. Um, we talk about heaven a lot and heaven's scriptural. That There's no doubt. Um, but really there was, there's a scripture, John 14, six, and it says, for I am the, Jesus is speaking. And he says, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And one day I was working for my dad in Atlanta, driving a route truck. And that verse was just heavy on me, heavy on me. And I realized in a moment, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and realized, like made me realize that when I read that verse, no one comes to the father except through me mentally and subconsciously, I was taking the word father out and replacing it with heaven. And so therefore, the way the verse read in my mind and in my soul was, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to heaven except through me. Well, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that I could go to heaven. 
Jesus died on the cross so I could be in right standing with the Father. See, it's a relationship piece. It's not just an attainment of heaven. It is a relationship with Jesus and God. And Jesus' death on the cross put me in right standing of, of the Father. But see, my whole life I had lived just to attain heaven. I can remember early on, like late high school, early on in college, um, I would sit there and I'd see people start doing things. And like I said before, I was straight laced, man. But I'd see people doing stuff uh, like drinking and partying and and fooling around with their girlfriends and doing this. And, and I began to justify in my mind. And this these are the words that the devil was was rattling in my brain was, they call themselves Christians. And if God's going to let them into heaven, surely he will let you into heaven. See, the devil was being crafty. The devil was allowing me to try and put heaven as the goal instead of a relationship with Jesus as the goal. The object of our faith of Christianity is not heaven. Heaven is just a resting place in which God resides. The, but the, the point of our faith is to be in right standing with our Creator and our, and our Heavenly Father, God. And if, it, if we don't see in my life, my relationship was merely based on getting to heaven. It was nothing about getting to know God better. It was nothing, nothing about following Jesus. It was being, all right, I've given my life to the Lord. Now I'm going to live a good moral life. I'm going to have a good name, and I'm going to get to heaven. And that was the end of it. And I, you know, I never, never asked Jesus, hey, God, what do you want for me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? All I ever did was wake up, be a good moral person, and that is subjective because I could base my morals off of the world's, you know, the scum of the earth and still be better than them. And so therefore, you know, the morality scale does not do anything. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. So the, the goal here, if we're talking about morality, is perfection. That's from God himself. That is from Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 48. Well, we can't attain that. So that's why we need Jesus. But Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be in right standing with the Father. For he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what the Holy Spirit revealed to me is that I had created heaven, the attainment of heaven, as primary in my life over actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that's deep, ain't it? That's deep that even heaven itself can become an idol in our life. But that's how crafty the devil is. See, the devil is crafty that he could create idols in our lives out of good things. He could create idols out of, out of things that are good, like having a good name or, or being a, a good Christian. And, and one thing I need to understand is, you know, and we all need to understand is that we have to be super laser focused on our life and following after Jesus. And it's a daily thing. We wake up and we say, Jesus, what do you want for me today? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to follow? And when he says something that we're like, ooh, man, I don't want to do that. Or, ooh, that's, what are people going to think of me? Or, or Jesus, if I do that, you're, you're telling me I got I to gotta give up my home or I, I got I to gotta sell my house and move. I got to get out of my community. Or, or Jesus, if you tell me that, that means I got to leave my family. Or, or Jesus, if you tell me that, that means I got to quit my job. And, and, and how am I going to pay the bills? What, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to feed my family? Like, I got to take care of my family. You want me to take care of my family, right? But what is Jesus saying, you know, before to these, these three guys? He was like, hey, let the dead bury the dead. 
if you, if you want to go say hey to your family, that's fine, but go say hey to them and you know, you've looked back, you're not going to follow me. Or if you really say you're going to follow me, then are you willing to give everything up? The rich young ruler, are you willing to give everything up to follow me? And if the answer is no, then are you truly willing to follow me? Or do you have idols in your life that are causing you to hold back? What's up? What's up? It's time for that mid podcast shout out. Today's episode is sponsored by Jill Bodas from Lake Holmes Realty. Jill specializes in the Richard B. Russell, Lake Yona, Lake Hartwell, and Clarks Hill Lake areas in both Georgia and South Carolina. We actually purchased our home from Jill. It's a 1910 renovated farmhouse with this amazing wraparound porch and three acres of land. It truly is our dream house, and we get to do everything we need for the ministry from here. So if you're looking to sell or buy, I highly recommend contacting Jill. You can reach her at lakelifetime at gmail.com. That's lakelifetime at gmail.com. And so, like I said, the devil is crafty because he can create idols in our own lives out of good things. So what if I could, what if I told you that the devil's crafty enough that he could create serving at church being an idol in your life or doing ministry as being an idol in your life? You know, one thing I always have to go back and reread, especially being somebody in ministry and somebody that is trying to build a, a basically a ministry, trying to build something, an organization. And so it's constantly, my mind's constantly going, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Well, really what I got to do is lay that at the feet of Jesus and just sit there instead of trying to make things happen on my own. I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, all right, God, you tell me what to do and I'll go do it. But like I said, the devil is crafty and he can make things, make good things in our life, good things in society, good things in the church, idols. And, and really the account of Mary and Martha with Jesus in Luke 10, 38 through 42 um, is a prime example of that. And I'll read it here. It says, now when they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Man, like this just feeds my soul because... As a man and as men, I think that we are productivity minded. We're like, hey, we got to do this. 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 Um, actually, just yesterday, uh, I took a day off of work to help Chelsea get a few things done around the house. And uh, uh, in a not a great husband moment of my life, uh, I started complaining because I it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I hadn't got anything completed yet. Um, and so that just shows the, the heart and soul of, of me as a man is like, Hey, I want to get up and I want to start doing things. Um, I want to be productive. I like sitting here and doing nothing. Like I, I struggle with that. I'm, I don't sit well. I got to be doing something, moving around, uh, completing something. And so, um, when I read this account of Martha and Mary and Martha, what does it say? Martha was, was running around. She was distracted with much serving. Folks, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all are serving in the church and you think that it's a good thing? And it is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. We should serve in the church. 
But at the end of the day, is that serving distracting you from actually following what Jesus has asked you to do? Is that serving opportunity sitting there and it is your excuse of saying, see, I'm being, I'm doing a good Christian duty. I'm doing what I'm told, what I'm supposed to do. But you've never really asked Jesus what he wants you to do. Maybe you're serving in a great space, but is that exactly what Jesus has asked of you? See, here's the thing is anything that gets in the way as a distraction from us actually spending time with Jesus is an idol. So what do we see here? Martha was distracted with much, and she even got upset and told Mary because Mary was just sitting there. How many of us do this? How many of us like serving in the church? What does it say? 20% do the work, 80% just sit there. And as a, as a servant, as a volunteer in the church, how many of y'all have gotten frustrated because you're looking, you're like, man, I wish more people would serve. Why aren't they serving? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Um, and I get it. I'm right there with you. But we don't know what God and what Jesus has asked of those individuals, just like here. So Martha gets mad because she's serving all alone. She gets bitter. She gets frustrated. And she's like, Jesus, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. What did Mary choose? Mary chose to literally just sit at the feet of Jesus and revel in who he was, get to know him, and listen to him. That's all Jesus was asking of, of them. And Mary was distracted. And so in my own life, in ministry, and, and doing things like, man, again, let, let, let's talk about idols in my life personally, in M.A. Dozier's life, okay? I have the idol of a good name is better than riches, okay? Um, I have the idol of, of serving. I want to get going. And, and at the end of the day, those th- two things meet because I'm sitting here going, man, uh, you know, People are donating to the ministry, but if I'm not posting on Facebook things that we're doing, they're, they're going to wonder what's going on. And, you know, is he doing anything? Is, is, is anything going on? Like, what am I giving my money to? And the devil starts wrapping those things in my mind. And so what happens is all of a sudden the idol of a good name, because I want people to know that I'm actually pushing forward in ministry and the idol of serving meet together and they come together and they make this massive, big old golden image. And when the music of life starts playing, I bow down to it every time and say, that's what I got to do. That's what I got to do. What Mary did was he, she just sat at Jesus's feet. And so for me, I have to reread this account all the time and just say, all right, Lord, I'm going to sit here and, and really battle off the advances of the devil of, of him sitting there on my shoulder, chirping into my ear saying, well, what, what are people thinking? What are people talking? Are you know, people don't, don't see you doing ministry. They're, they're, they're not going to support you anymore. They're not going to do this, not going to do that. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> At the end of the day, the, the Ford movement of Nimrod Outdoors is in, insignificant. But the Ford movement of the gospel and the Ford movement of my soul to Christ in relationship is ultimately what's important. And so if, if by sitting at the feet of Jesus and doing what he has told pushes forward the gospel and pushes forward the organization of Nimrod Outdoors, then man, let's, let's go to it. But if God tells me to just sit at his feet, then I need to just sit at his feet and not worry about anything else. And so, men, let me ask you this. How many of you are so producti- productivity mindset that you're not willing to sit still with God? Because the grass needs to be cut or 
money's got to be made or society says you got to do this and you got to do that or there's a new boat on the market and you want to buy a boat or there's a new vehicle you want or uh, there's something more fun to do like I love deer hunting I love fishing you know there's a quote out there that says uh, and I used to like it I used to use it but as a quote says I'd rather be in the trout stream or in the deer stand thinking about God than in church thinking about the trout stream or or deer hunting and here's the thing you know, on the service level, you're like, man, I agree with that. But no, like, that's not true. Because what that what that shows is the true heart of our soul is like, we are idolizing fishing and, and hunting over being with God. Like, the, the question is not, where would I rather think about God? Obviously, I'd rather think about God in the outdoors. But the question is, where has God called you? And what are you supposed to be doing? And so therefore, if you don't go to church or you don't serve or you don't do this because you want to be in the woods and you're somehow allowing the devil to justify it in your mind that, well, if I, I could do this and as long as I think about God, well, no. What, what did Jesus say to these guys that were like the cost of following Jesus? Like, let me go bury the dead first. Let me go deer hunting first. You know, let me go say bye to my family. Let, let me go make a couple more dollars and I'll, I'll follow you. You know, no. It is a it is a immediate response of our soul to follow after Jesus. And if not, then we have idols in our life that are holding us up from fully following Jesus and having a relationship with him. And so here's the thing. Where's our focus and what is <clears throat> what is the image others see when they look into our lives? So let's go back to that quote. Okay, the quote from Jack Hayfield Hayford. Hayford. Worship changes the worshiper in the image of the one worshiped. So where's our focus and what is the image others see when they look into our lives? See, our culture, we self-identify ourselves with what we do, right? I was talking to one of my buddies the other day and, and he said, man, it's just like so ingrained in our society. What do we do? Say you sit down at the beach or you meet somebody for the first time uh, at the diner or whatever you're like, hey, my name is M.A. Dozier. What's the next question? What do you do for a living? We identify ourselves. We, we make ourselves, the images in which we identify ourselves is what the work we do. Um, the images that we portray in our life as far as what we wear, uh, the material things that we buy. Um, the big question here is, is somebody, if somebody looked into your life, would they actually see Jesus or would they just see things of this world? Would they see possessions? Would they see attachment to family? Would they see all these other things and maybe even good things, maybe even good things, but they are hindering us from following after Jesus. See, here's the thing, the truth of the matter. When I talk about serving at the church, Maybe even being a deacon or an elder has become an idol in your life because that's what you identify as. You identify as an elder rather than I'm a follower of Jesus. So has your identity become an elder in the church rather than a follower of Jesus? Would you rather people know you as an elder or would you rather people to know you as someone who follows Jesus with all their heart? See, these are hard questions. These are questions that I wrestle with every day is 
what is the image I'm reflecting back to the world? Are they seeing a little bit of Jesus, but a whole lot of M.A. Dozier? Or are they seeing a whole lot of Jesus that is over, overshadowing M.A. Dozier? And at the end of the day, if my name does not go where I want it to go, or people don't think of me the way I want them to think of me, but Jesus' name is lifted up, man, how much greater is that? So I, I want to finish this with a quote by one of my favorite pastors, Joby Martin, and talking about Mary and Martha again. You see, Martha was so distracted with so much to do, and Mary just sat at the feet of Jesus. And as men, we are so focused on being productivity mindset, and we want to produce, we want to produce, we want to produce, and that is a societal status quo, especially here in America. And so it, what that does is that has infiltrated the devil is crafty and he has infiltrated that into our, into our DNA, into our systems, into everything else. But at the end of the day, Joby Martin says our productivity for Jesus, or he says our proximity to Jesus is more important than our productivity for Jesus. So what is he saying is that sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary is vastly more important than doing anything for Jesus. See, Martha was working and serving for Jesus at that moment, and Jesus rebuked her saying, that's not what I wanted for you. The good portion is sitting here just being with me. So as men, husbands, and fathers, as we go out, and as we try and provide for our families, and as we try to uh, love on them and and do things in this world and and work uh, and be productive in society, here's the major question I have for us. Are we taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and really getting to know him? Or are we filling our lives with things of this world and only, only talking to Jesus when we need him? Or are we truly sitting there saying, all right, God, what do you want from me? And if he says, hey, the birds are there and the foxes have, have, no, have a home, but I have no home, are we willing to sell our home to go follow Jesus? If he says, hey, It's time to get up and move. Are we willing to move outside of our community, get outside of our comfort zone? Are we willing to leave our family in order to follow Jesus? And now when I say family, I mean immediate family because God says that husband and wife become one. And so I'm not telling you to leave your wife or your kids, but your immediate family. Are you you looking, you know, are those things holding you up? Those are big questions. What idols do we have in our lives? We need to examine ourselves on a daily basis and say, what is hindering me from following Jesus today? And if we can identify it, we need to do the best we can to get rid of it. And I'm going to be honest with you, though, I still wrestle with some of my own idols every day. But in, in, our, in our brokenness, it says that Jesus intercedes for us at the right hand of God. And so because every day I'm going to mess up, If I have fully surrendered my life to Jesus, Jesus is standing there at the right hand of God saying, look, I know he messed up, but I covered that and let's keep moving forward. Um, So today, let's go forward. Let's let's identify idols in our lives and let's try and eliminate them the best we can and just continue to push into Jesus saying, Jesus, I need you more and more every day. I need you to sanctify me more and more every day. And I want to be focused on you, Jesus not even of the good things of this world or on serving for you. I just want to be focused on you. Stay humble, stay focused, and keep pressing. And we can't.
Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you next time.